Hello and welcome to the Majlis Podcast, Radio Free Europe, the Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Mohamed Tahir, host of the Majlis and Radio Free Europe, the Liberty's media manager here in Washington, D.C. The world is on the brink of food shortage, a headline from CNN International. The looming catastrophe of the global food shortage, writes The Week. These are some of the common headlines popping up on the internet lately, and this is in part another consequences of Russia's war in Ukraine. Russia is one of the world's largest wheat producers, and Ukraine is not very far behind it. Now, these two countries are at war, sending shockwaves around the world regarding the already scarce and fragile food security. This concern couldn't be more pressing in Central Asia, where some countries depending uh, on Russian wheat for up to 90%, and Russia banned exports beginning of this March. On top of that, the region relies on Kazakhstan to fill any deficit. But Moscow's decision also led Kazakhstan, the largest buyer of Russian wheat in the region, to lose access to Russian wheat, thus banning its wheat export effective today, April 15. This is particularly catastrophic news for the impoverished country of Tajikistan, which imports up to 90% of its wheat from Kazakhstan. Equally bad news for Kyrgyzstan, as half of its wheat comes from Kazakhstan, and as well as for Uzbekistan, the largest Kazakh wheat importer. All this comes at a time when uh, prices for wheat and other food uh, products have risen to record highs throughout the region. And the region's buying power has seriously diminished due to the loss of income from the labor migrants, another victim of the war. Now, what next for the region? How people are coping with it? How is the situation today and what is expected tomorrow? What are the authorities doing about it and what are their options? On the broader picture, what will be the implications of this in months ahead? To discuss all these, I'm joined by Dr. Khalida Ajigulova, researcher in human rights, uh, gender equality, forced and labor migration in Central Asia, joining us from Kazakhstan. Riskelde Sadka, independent journalist and environmental researcher, joining us from Kyrgyzstan. Bruce Panier, Central Asia analyst, joining us from Prague, Czech Republic. Thank you, colleagues, for joining us on this important conversation. So let's start from the big picture development. Um, Russia, which is the world's largest wheat exporter producer, temporarily. Uh, banning uh, grain exports to its uh, fellow members of the Moscow-led Eurasia Economic Union that includes Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Belarus, and Armenia in March. So how big of a deal is this? Let's start with you, Riskelde, maybe. It is a big deal, and it's not only related to the uh, restrictions. This is also has to do with prices, because as we know, last year when the region was dealing with the uh, quarantine and uh, coronavirus, It was also um, the drought has a big impact on uh, production and uh, farming in yeah. the region. So just like, for instance, drought had a negative impact on Kyrgyzstan crop production hmm. by 41%, which is huge. And that forced Kyrgyzstan to increase its exports, imports from uh, Russia. So on top of all this, this year now, since Russia introduced this uh, restriction on uh, exports, We have a situation where the prices are going up literally on a monthly basis. It was very um, observable in March last month when uh, the prices started coming out, you know, coming up, uh, jumping up literally on a weekly basis. And then I actually saw this on the local market when I went there to buy uh, groceries. Hmm. I saw a line of retirees, mostly retirees, uh, 
lining up for buying flour and anything. Sugar and sugar went up dramatically. Mm. There was a time when the sugar went up, I believe, more than uh, twice the price of uh, than it was previously in February mm. before the war started. Yeah, and a similar situation is uh, concerns are in Uzbekistan, as you said, Tajikistan and Kazakhstan also introduced its own ban on uh, exports, mm-hmm. even though they have uh, more than a six, uh, six million tons of uh, crops in reserves. And they seem to have uh, enough, but they don't want to have any um, effect on the domestic market. So since the Russia uh, introduced this ban, most of the uh, Kazakh uh, businesses, especially in, the, in that business, they were buying from Russia as yeah, well. Yeah, so yeah. Russia stopped it till August, mm-hmm. and the uh, ex- it is expected that Kazakhstan this month will introduce a ban till uh, June, yeah. which is about two months. I guess. So the, I think it, it's, I guess, it's a quite a quite a development. Yeah, it's a huge development for yeah, this region. I guess the ban Kazakhstan is ban is effective from today, April 15 is what I heard. Um, Khalida, perhaps you know more than us. I mean, again, Kazakhstan introducing this, let's hope, temporary restrictions of um, exporting wheat to neighboring countries, neighboring Central Asia. I mean, just I was giving example of Tajikistan, 94% of dependency in terms of wheat import to Kazakhstan. I mean, we know wheat is crucial in Central Asian kitchen. So I don't know how's the situation on the ground in Tajikistan is we could, we could not have anyone from there to join us today. But it's a huge, but again, the, in, in part why Kazakhstan is doing that is because Kazakhstan was importing wheat from Russia and Russia banned wheat to Kazakhstan and rest of the neighboring countries. So tell us from Kazakhstan's perspective, how this development has affected Kazakhstan as a wheat exporter. Uh, as far as I know, Kazakhstani flour producers, uh, many of them, they prefer to buy wheat uh, from Russia. Even though uh, we do uh, grow our own, you know, wheat and uh, we also export it, but uh, the wheat in Russia was cheaper than in Kazakhstan. Yeah. So basically now, because Russia banned uh, the export of wheat from the country, it means that the Kazakhstani producers of flour, they basically have to buy from within the market, you know, and so the prices and the price is indeed higher than in Russia. And so this may be one of the reasons in the first place, you know, why we see the increase, the rise in the prices for flour right now. But also maybe because, again, this is like a precautionary measure, you know, because right now nothing is really clear. The future is really not uh, clear for anyone. And perhaps this is just another precautionary measure by the government to prevent any real shortage um, on the market. And again, they are basically uh, employing this measure, just establish this uh, food security for the country, you know, to ensure this food security for its own people. But of course, uh, it is very important to take into account that uh, this ban for export of wheat from Kazakhstan may indeed negatively affect our neighbors in the region, in the Central Asian region. So at the moment, I believe it is an issue that should be discussed at the political level um, among the presidents of all uh, affected countries mm-hmm. in the region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will get to that in terms of what they are doing about the, this uh, crisis. Before that, uh, Bruce, earlier I was talking about the Tajikistan, for instance, you know, the, the, the huge dependency that it has in terms of grain imports from countries like uh, Kazakhstan. And in the case of Kyrgyzstan, bulk of uh, their grain also comes from Russia, which is banned now. And then Uzbekistan, the same, importing wheat 
with from Kazakhstan as well as from Russia. In you know they are now deprived with both sources. So tell us how the the crisis is affecting Tajikistan, perhaps Uzbekistan, and maybe Turkmenistan in this case. I mean, in Turkmenistan's case, that's very interesting country. I mean, it it sounds to me you know the food shortage is never ending story there. Now on the top of all this, we have this new development, new situation. So tell us from the local perspective of those three countries how they are affected so far from this development well, i mean prices are going up just like we've heard uh, you know same in kazakhstan and kyrgyzstan obviously prices are going up and some you know steeply for all kinds of basic goods if we're just talking about wheat though flour then yeah, yeah sure i mean for one thing you know flour, kazakh flour was like one of the most desirable types of flour you could get in turkmenistan yeah. for a long long time mm-hmm. i mean that's what people wanted yeah. was you know, Kazakh flour and not their own, you know, for obvious reasons, Turkmen, Turkmenistan not being exactly a big wheat producer. Yeah, you know, the so quali- quality is also, I mean, my knowledge comes from my previous uh, background as the director of the Turkmen service. So uh, the flour produced in Turkmenistan, that it does not compare to what they could get from the uh, Kazakhstan. So yeah, there's also a quality issue there. Oh, yeah. Well, without a doubt, I mean, Kazakhstan have, has enough money to use decent fertilizer and, and they probably have much cleaner water that, mm-hmm. that goes into the fields, uh, you know, than in Turkmenistan. So, I mean, there's a lot of things um, that make Kazakh flour or wheat a lot better than than Turkmen product. You know, T- Tajikistan, of course, they, they've had the same problem and the prices have gone up again. I, the, the thing that I thought was, you know, I, I hate to use, say the, use the word amusing um, because it's a serious situation, but President Rahman again said... Um, he called on all citizens to stock up food yeah. supplies for two years. And I'm like, you know, he said that so many times mm-hmm. in the last 15 years that it really lost its meaning. And this is a serious situation now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I don't know what the people even make of that because, they, like I said, they've heard it 10 times or more in the last 15 years where he's been saying stock up for two years, you know, like there's going to be an apocalypse or something practically. Uzbekistan, yeah, I mean, it's going to hit Uzbekistan really hard. I would say the difference between Uzbekistan and Tajikistan and Turkmenistan is that Uzbekistan produces, has a much bigger agricultural sector. But it has uh, lots of mouths to feed, right? Pardon me? But Uzbekistan also has lots of mouths to feed. Yeah, well, they do. But like I said, that's, you know, they won't be able to, they, they couldn't be self-sufficient for wheat or flour, but they grow a lot of other things. So the fact that you don't have access, the same kind of access to bread, um, at least chances are that you'll have good access to fruits and vegetables, for instance, nuts, you know, things like that. So whereas Tajikistan and Turkmenistan, that's not going to be, that's not the case, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, they grow some of those things, but not anywhere near enough to yeah. feed their population. Yeah, a couple of questions there, maybe Riskaldi, or anyone who wants to jump in here. But yeah, we have been saying that the situation is very, very serious. I mean, how to measure the seriousness, Riskaldi? When What do you have in mind when you say this is very serious? Well, I think, you know, we have to look at the official uh, statements or data and the realistic data that is coming out of on the ground. Hmm. It's like, for instance, Uzbek service reported uh, recently that the Uzbek uh, government stated that the food items went up by two and a half percent. But the economists uh, in Uzbekistan, they're saying that these, these numbers are not realistic. So the real uh, number is anywhere between 20 to 30 percent. That's probably more realistic. And given that, we can probably have an idea how bad it is in certain countries. And and speaking of certain countries in Kyrgyzstan, we know that prices on food items and like, for instance, to be specific, oil, vegetable oil that is typically imported from Kazakhstan doubled last year during the pandemic. 
But this year, the price is also going up now. And so it's all connected to uh, the uh, situation in Kazakhstan as well and Russia, of course. And to be fair, I have to say that this situation is going to hit vulnerable population really hard. And I think we could say that this would probably hit the whole region because the poverty in this region is high, especially in Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan. The numbers are really high. So, and given that for the last two years, the countries uh, couldn't catch a break on uh, certain items like food items. So given what's happening this year, I think it's uh, safe to say that it will be a difficult year for many in this region. Mm. I mean, Kazakhstan, yes, we understand that they already have some safety net. And so in order to save that, they they just banned wheat export, at least. In countries like Tajikistan, what is the level of their safety net? I mean, how long they can survive? In Kazakhstan, our government mm. uh, tries to assure the population that mm. we have uh, sufficient uh, mm. supplies and stocks, for example, for dairy and for meat. Mm. They do explain that we may have some shortages of uh, sugar, for mm. example, mm. because uh, our internal mar- market, our local market, can uh, provide only for some 50%, around 50% of all uh, needs of the population in sugar. But uh, with regards to other uh, food items, yes, the authorities, they claim that there is no problem. So, but again, you know, we have this general concern that I would say the level of trust to the population Mm -hmm. to the government is generally low. And of course, unfortunately, over the last uh, maybe... Khalida, do you hear me? Do you guys hear Khalida? No, I don't. It's no, kind of weird that you I just don't too, yeah. trust was in the government was low, and then she lo- we lost the connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, as uh, Khalida was talking about, and also hopefully she will join us back. So what we were talking about, yeah. So so we were talking about the uh, wheat uh, generally, just because Russia and Ukraine, two main uh, wheat exporters producers, are at war, and subsequently Kazakhstan banning or imposing restrictions on wheat exports, another uh, major uh, wheat exporter. So obviously wheat being in the headlines, we were focused on uh, wheat, but obviously the implications of the situation goes far beyond that. So it, I also heard from all of you that it is very very serious. Now, you know, can I throw something in real quick just to to follow up on Halidis, what she was talking about, too, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, we got to remember when Kazakhstan and and of course, like we've been saying, um, they're really kind of the supplier, certainly Mm -hmm. for wheat and flour to Central Asia. But they're coming off the unrest in January, too. And you got to take that into consideration that they have to make sure that the people in the country get enough food and that there's no problem because they already had a huge problem at the start of the year. And then, uh, you know, the last thing in the world they want is that shortages of flour and wheat cause more social unrest like what we saw in January. So it's uh, it's something else they have to think about when they're planning in Kazakhstan about what they can export and what they need to keep. Khalida, are you back? Yes, yes. Sorry. Again, we have this uh, Internet uh, failure. Unfortunately, yes. And, you know, uh, another thing that I wanted to add is that uh, generally in the public we have discussions that we may expect around 3 to 4 million of Russian citizens coming to Kazakhstan mm. maybe even this year, you know, again, depending on the outcomes of, of the war in Ukraine. Maybe they would come as uh, refugees or maybe they would come just as citizens of this Eurasian Economic Union. But again, you know, the authorities apparently, they believe that um, this scenario is, is feasible. And that's why, again, now taking these precautionary measures, measures you know, to restrict the export of uh, the basic uh, food items from the country in case these three or four million of Russian citizens would enter the country. 
Wow. Um, so uh, we discussed about kind of big picture thing here and also the way it, uh, in which it's affecting markets and the cost of food in general and how people are coping with it. And also another big picture kind of question is how authorities are responding to this situation in the region. Uh, what are their options and what are the possible implications that one expect coming out of this situation? So let's continue the podcast talking about these in many other questions very shortly. First, let me recap the debate that today on the Majlis podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Khalida Ajigulova, researcher uh, in human rights, gender equality, forced and labor migration in Central Asia. Rizkel Desatke, the ind- an independent journalist and environmental researcher. Bruce Panier, Central Asia analyst. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis podcast and Radio Free Free Liberties media manager here in Washington, D.C. And we are discussing the pending food shortage, perhaps crisis in Central Asia. So we said it's a serious crisis or it is about to turn into a very serious one. So how people are coping with this, Bruce, um, you know, you follow those uh, developments through the local sources. We spoke about Tajikistan, for example. We spoke about uh, Turkmenistan and these two countries that I think would be very vulnerable in the current situation. How people are coping with this crisis as it is, it looks like to me more yet to come, but, uh, you know, as we speak. Well, I mean, generally across Central Asia, the, the initial reaction, as it always is when there's some, something big like this happens, is to hoard as much food as you can. So, yeah. you know, and I've seen photos of empty shelves in stores from all around different parts of Central Asia. Uh, but, you know, the, it's not so much that, that they're out of all those products because they can replenish it, but just because people are panicking that, mm. you know, they know this is coming. So, um, you know, and you've seen the reports where people are buying five times as much sugar as they used to, also because they expect mm. the price is going to go up, as we've heard, uh, and it probably will. You know, so that that's one thing is, I mean, if you went into a store, depending on where you are in some country, you might actually find that they don't have all a lot of the basic goods that you're mm. used to seeing in that. But that's more because, at the moment anyway, that's more because so many people have gone down and bought everything they could. Hedge against the future and things being bad. You know, some stuff you can stock up and some you just can't. Dairy products, meat, stuff like that just mm. doesn't last mm-hmm. very long. Certainly not without refrigeration. It, so it, that, you know, it's, it's just going to be tough. It, um, it, yeah, on that note, earlier, Sadkeldi, you were talking about like mostly retirees though, but people are lining up in front of the stores. I mean, those kind of examples, how much of a common thing that has become? Well, you know, it was quite uh, visible in March la- uh, last month, right around middle uh, mid-March, something like mm-hmm. that. And people were literally, just like uh, Bruce just said, they were panicking mm-hmm. and they were buying sugar and um, grocery store owners. They were forced to uh, ration uh, sugar sales. So they weren't selling more than a one kilo or two kilos per hand. And that was last month, but this month we have we're not seeing anything like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the prices went down a little bit, but they're still high. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the prices are back to normal again because once the price goes up, as we know, these uh, wholesalers and uh, mm-hmm. grocery mm-hmm. store owners they typically try to keep it up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, are there any but, are there any stuff any staple that are out of the market as we speak? No, not really. I think uh, many of these food items are are fully stocked now, and we're not seeing any shortages anymore. Well, the only concern is the price. 
because for retirees, for instance, you know, some people, uh, some some uh, categories, they get somewhere around fifty dollars or sixty dollars a month. That's their pension, and they cannot afford to buy, uh, say, a flour which was say uh, just for instance, say five dollars a kilo. I'm not saying that's the real price, but if they can, they will buy it when they have an opportunity, and they do not do not they do not want to wait till later when the price will go up significantly so that's the main i think major factor that the people were panicking and i think the government couldn't help Hmm. because they typically say that they have stocks everything is fine but somehow it doesn't work you know earlier rfrl's turkman service reporting about the lines similar lines perhaps longer because the reporting was like you know people just start lining up early in the evening to be among the first when shop opens next day and this is i guess the story about the lines in front of the subsidized food stores in turkmenistan i don't know how is the kind of environment other than subsidized uh, stores in the country but food shortages has always been an issue in the country but one is yes food shortages. The other thing is price hikes. And, you know, as the war continues, unfortunately, we expect this to be even worse going forward. And also another consequences of the war is like people, lots of people have lost their income. Like I'm particularly looking into the migrant community in Russia that they are affected because of the war in Ukraine. I mean, one thing is that, yes, food prices and shortage of the food. The other thing is the purchasing power, Bruce, that has also diminished. What kind of complication is this? adding into the already a fragile situation well i mean it's amazing how many problems are all are all coming together at the same time that you know that's that's what's probably going to be one of the hardest deal issues to deal with for all the governments of the region certainly the governments of the region that have a lot of migrant laborers is what are you going to do with all these people that are coming back to no jobs and 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 added strain on the food supply uh, by being there and and at the same time being unable to probably afford the prices of the food as it is now because everything's going up due to shortages like i said that's another factor that the governments i don't know what how they're going to deal with that exactly you know we know that, that in uzbekistan at least 200,000 people have sh- have shown up since february and come back to home and i imagine it's it's in the tens of thousands in tajikistan and kyrgyzstan also and what do you do with them i, I don't know that's a good mm-hmm. question it's going to put a strain on on a lot of things like i said not just the employment industry mm-hmm. and the job industry but but the food supply in the countries mm-hmm. Khalida, you follow this thing as part of your profession you know the impact of all this to migrant workers and kind of trickling effect of that into all the other problems that we are talking about in terms of the price hikes in terms of, in terms of the food shortages and these restrictive measures i mean what kind of implication we should expect to see in days and months ahead of these all problems coming together? Uh, yes, indeed, it's, it's a very uh, serious question uh, because, uh, for example, already in Kazakhstan, we have observed the devaluation of local currency up to 25%. And actually, that was also one of the reasons why uh, the prices for food and other items, they just skyrocketed. But now, for example, the government uh, introduced some financial measures and the currency, uh, the local currency, it uh, got stronger. So, but nonetheless, you know, the prices remained almost uh, at the same uh, high level. So, uh, so I think the problem right now is that, again, the people, uh, the population at large, they're not certain about their future. They don't know 
what would happen next. Again, uh, they don't really trust much uh, to the government. And already we see that people starting, you know, to save and economize and maybe they're spending less on um, maybe unnecessary um, items and, and, of course, spending more on food. You know, actually, this uh, has always been a problem in Kazakhstan that the majority of the population, they spend uh, more than 50% of their salaries for uh, grocery. Mm. So even in the past, it was uh, already a, a concern. So now, um, of course, you know, the situation is uh, deteriorating and the government, uh, again, uh, they understand that if they do not manage, you know, to cope with this problem, they may be at risk and they may see more protests of people in the country, what they really want to avoid. Mm. Kyrgyzstan is an active country, riskily. Are you seeing any kind of consequences, like immediate consequences of all the situation politically, perhaps law and order? What are the areas you are looking at? Well, so far, we're not seeing uh, anything significant that would uh, indicate that there's a problem or crisis on the horizon regarding social issues and especially the food security. But um, I think the major uh, question here is whether, just like Bruce uh, said before, that the governments, what will they do given that there's uncertainty coming out of Russia and Ukraine? What's going to happen if they have uh, these uh, reserves food reserves primarily if they do have them will they be able to sustain and will they have new sources probably they could they could access new markets and stock up on certain items at least basic ones so far we're not seeing anything like that in uh, in kyrgyzstan i could say 100 percent we're not seeing anything like that they are trying to reassure the public that there is no food crisis at the moment and The second thing is that we know that in Uzbekistan last month, the president, you directed the local governors and uh, local administrations to keep researching the prices, food prices on the local markets. Mm. And if there are any instabilities, so he ordered to interfere and and make sure that the prices are are stable. Mm. So if situation is like that in Uzbekistan, or at least what we're seeing in the news, in Kyrgyzstan, it's a little different because here the market price market at force is all the time. And once the price goes up, as we know, it stays there for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And the food prices are seemingly are up. And compared mm-hmm. to last year, they are up more than uh, 2021. And so far, I can't say that there's anything uh, coming down the pipe regarding uh, social mm-hmm. conflicts or, issue or mm-hmm. tensions uh, due to uh, food prices. But You never know. Kyrgyzstan is the kind of country that uh, could blow up uh, at any certain moment. And mm-hmm. we have seen that uh, two years ago. So, so far, no, there's no mm-hmm. indications that mm-hmm. something may uh, happen here. Mm-hmm. The same question to you, Bruce. And also uh, an additional question there is, I mean, yes, uh, governments needs to step up their game to be able to handle the situation. But do you see that they are? And, and also, what are their options? Well, I mean, stepping up, you know, Risk Gildy mentioned that they're All the governments across Central Asia are saying that they're, they're they have people out watching the prices, you know, so that they don't. But that's, individual that, that's not a solution, right? Well, I mean, at least it does it does keep price gouging mm-hmm. down a little bit, you know. And all of them are promising that they have stockpiled uh, a certain amount of food. I think Kazakhstan's the only one that's gone so far as to say they have enough that there shouldn't be any worry about feeding the people. The other ones haven't gone quite that far. I don't think there is a good answer to this question because, unfortunately, the kind of things that they're short of, they can't really get from too many places that are close by. You know, not not they grow wheat in Europe. That's a long ways away. I mean, Russia and Kazakhstan are right there. 
Uh, you can't get wheat from any, you know, China doesn't have wheat to export. Pakistan doesn't have wheat to no. export. Afghanistan, no. Iran, they don't have it either. No. So it's really tough. To, it'd have to come from a lot further away, and then it would be really expensive for them to get it. And that's tough. You know, the, I think one of the big problems for the Central Asians are the governments is, yeah, they got they got to provide for that. But they, the problems that have led them to this stage is there's no sign that it'll go away. And since we're running short, I mean, we talked before the show that they had a drought last year, right? Yeah, so this yeah. already complicated the situation. Prices mm-hmm. were already higher because, they, you know, those shortfalls, Riskel, they mentioned 41% drop in crops last year in Kyrgyzstan. Well, all of them had that, that problem, mm-hmm. right? So prices were already up. If the drought continues this year, what happens then? Now they're suffering because of Russia's war in Ukraine and the sanctions that are on. But there's mm-hmm. no sign that that's coming to an end. Yeah, what yeah. If, goes on for two or three years Mm. so i mean this is this is just entering what could be a sustained horrible period you know of trying to secure basic goods in central asia when your your immediate supply chain your your close by suppliers can't supply you anymore with what you need with all of what you need or maybe even a fraction of what you need wow and it's also again brings up lots of other questions that what they could have done to be prepared for a situation like this in the past. But again, that's going to expand our conversation here. Um, so just maybe final question before we end the conversation today here. So this this whole crisis situation that kind of coming on the top of each other at the same time hitting the region. In this case, hitting lots of other regions as well, you know, around the world. But since we are talking about Central Asia, so what are what are the areas? that uh, Khalida, perhaps you will be looking at going forward in terms of where we are headed after this. As as Bruce said, it doesn't look like that, you know, Ukraine-Russia war is going to end anytime soon. So we will we will continue to have this problem in terms of the restrictions and food shortages in, in, in some ways or the other. So what where your eyes will be going forward in terms of where we are headed from here? Oh, well, you know, perhaps um, what we may look at is uh, perhaps a potential uh, regional food security arrangement uh, for Central Asia. Hmm. I think that perhaps in the future, indeed, uh, all the states of Central Asia, they should discuss and see how they could, you know, ensure and provide for this uh, regional food security. Maybe they could also uh, involve Turkey, for example, um, as part of uh, another, you know, this uh, Turkic state union hmm. or something like that. But I believe that it is indeed important for our governments, for the political leadership of our state in Central Asia to discuss this issue and make sure, you know, that uh, none of the citizens of our region uh, would be affected uh, because of uh, food shortage. Okay, and maybe the same question from both of you, Riskalde and Bruce and Wood, that we are going to conclude the conversation. So, yeah, kind of future forecast, where your eyes will be in terms of where we are headed from here? I think the governments in this region should be focusing more on the domestic agriculture, subsidizing. In Kazakhstan, we know that uh, the government is uh, focusing more heavily on farmers lately. Uh, We will see what happens with that. But in the country like Kyrgyzstan, I think they should have done that a long time ago. Instead of uh, importing goods and uh, crops and uh, food items from Kazakhstan. And of course, they will in the future. But I think they, they could do more. In, in this country. As far as Uzbekistan, I think, you know, they could do more too, but uh, it all depends on what are the policies uh, the Uzbek president will be laying out. Tajikistan is difficult to say, as you said, we, have, we don't have much information from Tajikistan. But another thing I want to touch upon is that there's an increasing uh, impact of uh, temperatures in this region. I think we, we're seeing this already, and last year we saw that, and this year so far the spring temperatures are up significantly. Mm. We don't know how summer 
temperatures will have impact will have an impact on agriculture because we saw that last year water shortages had an impact on farmers in Kyrgyzstan. Maybe we'll have the same development this year again. But what I'm trying to say is that I think the governments in this region should focus on uh, sustainability in agriculture, which means uh, water cooperation, transboundary water uh, distribution, and most of all, they should they should settle their disputes, whether it's a border or economic disputes, like, for instance, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan on the border, they are constantly having these problems. Yeah. Another problem is Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan. Yes. We know what happened there. And Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan also seemingly, seemingly have some water issues as well, which is about a a week ago, there was a shooting on the border and two people were dead mm. as a result yeah. on the Uzbek side. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's plenty of issues, uh, but it all depends on how these governments in, in Central Asia will come together. And mm. so far, we're not seeing any sign of progress, mm. to be honest. Mm. Let's hope that if this crisis kind of, you know, convinces them to come together, because there's, it seems to be there is no other solution. Bruce, do you see any solution in that context where you will be looking at as to where yeah, we're well, headed? First, first, I really like Halida's idea. I mean, regional food security cooperation yeah, yeah. would be a great thing. You know, but just to follow up on what Riskeldi was talking mm. about, too, I mean, that's what I was thinking is that they really have to pay a lot more attention to domestic agriculture in all these areas. And, you know, the weird thing is that there's there's a lot of untended land out there. We've mm. heard of, you know, the Kazakhstan has, the, has had the big problem with land privatization and everything like that. And that's because there's a lot of land there that you could farm. Mm-hmm. Or, or practice some kind of agriculture, animal husbandry or something, on, but there's nobody there to do it. Tajikistan has the same problem, and, and even Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan to a large extent. That's why they got people leave. A lot of people that leave to be migrant laborers in Russia are, are from rural areas, right? So in Tajikistan certainly has this case where there's there's untended farms because the people just packed up and left and decided they'd make more money in Russia than sitting there and working the farm in Tajikistan. Bring back that land. You've got people coming back, migrant laborers and stuff. The government needs to inject a huge amount of money, these governments, into domestic agriculture, but farming and see if they can convince people it's profitable to go back to the farm since they can't go to Russia anyway and grow more food for the local population. That, that would be one possibility anyway. And also, you know, just to point out, uh, you know, Turkmenistan has kind of skips over rather in these kind of conversation. But in Turkmenistan case, it looks like even worse, like, you know, there uh, you have land owned by the authorities. And again, authorities are the one who provides equipment authorities are the one who f- provides fertilizers, seeds, everything kind of, you know, in hands of the authorities. And they are still even not closer to its neighbors in terms of reforming the um, agriculture sector there. And it obviously it's adding more complications into the problem that they are currently facing. Okay, let's see. Let's see what m- we might be talking about in the upcoming weeks as uh, Russia's war in Ukraine enters to, I guess, sixth week or seventh week now. So thank you very much. Um, Dr. Khalida Ajikulova, researcher in human rights, gender equality, forced and labor migration in Central Asia, who was joining us from Kazakhstan today. And also big thanks to Riskel Dishatki, the independent journalist and environmental researcher who was joining us from Kyrgyzstan, and Bruce Panier, Central Asia analyst who was joining us from Prague, Czech Republic today. Thank you very much, colleagues. And this is it from me, Mohammed Tahir, Radio Free of Radio Liberties Media Manager and host of the Majdi's podcast here in Washington, D.C. Until next week, bye-bye.